0: Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick Network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
2: Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network this afternoon. The crew is all here. We're talking all things college and pro football. We've got some trades going down across the NFL. Quarterbacks who will start this weekend. We'll have those details coming up. World Series first pitch coming up on Friday. As Kick 360 continues from 6th and Peabody with e Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We say hello to uh, a man endorsed by John McClain who joins us weekly from Gallerysports.com. Jim McInville is the founder of Gallerysports.com, Gallery Furniture. Mattress Mac joins us where the Astros in the World Series yet again. Matt, congratulations as a super fan on Doing this and running it back, and I don't know how you do it, but you have a very high tolerance for risk.
0: Congratulations, the Houston Astros, on helping me overcome my high tolerance. For <laughs> okay, I lost ten million dollars on the Super Bowl last year when they called those penalties on Cincinnati in the last few minutes. Aha! Uh-huh. And uh, I was walking out of this place where I was watching the game. And they said, "How long did it take you to get over it?" I said, "I'm over it." Next. <laughs> So
2: Mattress Mac, our guest, will now kick 360. How much money do you have riding on the World Series as the first pitch is thrown on Friday? And tell us what's at stake.
0: Well, you know, we run a promotion that said if the customers buy $3,000 a matter worth of mattresses, if the Astros win the season-ending championship, I, a.k.a. the World Series, they get your money back. So I bet a lot of futures bets on this one, about $10 I bet $10 million futures bet, blended price seven point five. So if the Astros win the World Series, I will pay back the customers $75 million. How did you piece together this
3: bet? How many different places did you have to go? Uh, and how, what was the maximum you could bet at, at one place? How reluctant were people to take these big bets?
0: Well, I started out at, um, in Louisiana at Wynn Casino. I bet a million dollars there at 12 to 1. Then I went to Caesars. Caesars is always kind of the lead underwriter of all this stuff, and I bet three million at Caesars at ten to one. Then I bet two million at uh, Barstools, Betfred, Unibet, and I bet four million at uh, MGM, all at five to one. So that's kind of how the way it laid out.
2: And are you doing this? Uh, John has told us the story. You you hop in a, a, a helicopter and go. Town to town and, and place these bets all in one fell swoop. Is that right?
0: Yeah, either I either fly over to Louisiana, which is only about 90 miles from Houston, or I drive there. And then the last bets I had to make some in Louisiana, they had to fly to Iowa and bet at Bet Fred and Unibet there. Then I had to fly to Las Vegas and bet there at 2 30 in the morning at the Bellagio Hotel MGM property. And they opened up a sports casino for me. I bet $2 million there to win. Uh, 10, then I flew back to Houston and got home at 6.30 and went to work at 8, so if, if you're going to gamble, you got to work.
4: <laughs> Is there a single sports book or casino that doesn't know you at this
0: point? They probably all know me, but they don't all like to take action. I can tell you that much.
4: So You know going in exactly where you need to go, and you know the places where you're persona non grata.
0: I don't know that I'm persona non grata, but the big bets they they frown on. Some places would rather just grind it out. Some of them will gamble all you want. Caesars has uh, never turned me down. So they're a great uh, bookie place to take big time action. They've, they've done very well. Barstool's treats me good. Uh, several of them treat me very well. MGM, et cetera.
4: And, and is it important that you go one after the other when you're traveling to these places where word doesn't spread over days or weeks that you're placing these big bets and they start talking to other casinos or does that not matter
0: at all? I I generally work out the price and the amount before I go there because I don't want them getting there. And I'm on the computer at three in the morning and they say, well, we're going from five to one to three to one that has happened before. And it wasn't good for either party. So I work out all the terms before I get in the, uh, car or airplane or helicopter to go make the bet.
3: Take us back, if you will, to early in your career. Like what's the first time you came up with a deal like this for your customers where you had maybe, uh, you know, b- buy this much. And if, if a team wins, you, you get your money back or you get a percentage. When's the first time you came up with a promotion, like something like this.
0: That was years, years ago when the Texans first got in the NFL and they were playing the mighty hated Dallas Cowboys up the road. And so I did a promotion. I think the Texans were like 12 points underdog. I did a promotion said if The Texans beat the Cowboys and you buy X amount of furniture, you get the money back. I didn't insure it at all. And, uh, At halftime, the Texans were up by 14 points. I was going to lose about $2 million uninsured, and that was a whole lot of money back then. So I was very nervous, but the Cowboys won in the end. So that first convinced me that people loved uh, buying furniture, getting the furniture, and then having the chance to get it free if their team wins a game.
2: Mattress Mac joins us. When's the last time you were nervous on a bet?
0: When I bet on Vince Young and the University of Texas, in the Rose Bowl in 2005, I bet 150000 I think, at plus three hundred. That was a nice bet and a nice win. After that, I kind of got used to it. My wife still gets very nervous, but I don't sweat it.
4: So it, what's it like watching a game with you? Let's say the Super Bowl. You've got $10 million on the Super Bowl, you just said, and there's some penalties late that you don't like, and it doesn't go your way in the end. It, it, are you getting worked up at all, or is it just a walk in the park for you at this point?
0: My blood pressure gets a little worked up. I throw a few things, say a couple of bad words, and I walk out and it's all over. I, I, I try to be like a baseball hitter. You strike out, you got to get over it and go to the next one or a golfer. What makes you most, uh,
3: I don't know if nervous is the right word, but if you're looking at Astros-Phillies, what's your biggest concern with the with The Phillies
0: really, obviously hits very well. They have great good hitters, two great pitchers, but the Astros have had uh, – Lights out pitching all year and timely hitting, so it should be a great series. I felt like the Astros were going to beat Washington, the the Nationals a couple years ago, and they didn't make it there, didn't make it last year against Atlanta, but I think this is our year. The Astros' model is level up, and if they level up, they'll have four World Series appearances, two wins, two losses. That would level it up.
3: What prompted you to create uh, a a sports website and to hire uh, McLean and and collect a bunch of great writers from around Houston who have big reputations there, big bylines, and uh, obviously going to drive traffic
0: to your site? A lot of the guys that used to work at the Houston Chronicle, for whatever reason, are not there anymore. And they're great writers like John McLean, Richard Justice, John Lopez, etc. And uh, they're local guys. I know most all of them. So we decided to start this gallery sports Focus mainly on Texas and Louisiana uh, college and professional teams and give people a a deep insight on some of this stuff and then eventually do some sports gambling news on a different site. So that's what we're doing. It's gone very well so far. It's a free site, uh, galleriesports.com, and looking to a lot of coverage on the next week as the Houston Astros play for the World Series and, of course, with my $75 million bet, which would be the biggest win in legal American gambling history
4: gallerysports.com, the website. John McLean writes there. He joins us weekly right here on Outkick 360 and has joined us on our radio shows for years. When did you know that you loved to gamble? Was it the first bet you placed? Did it take a little bit of time? When did you decide, hey, this is something that I'm really passionate about?
0: Well, it was when I was in uh, Catholic school and grade school and we'd pitch quarters against the ball. <laughs> did <laughs> you win? Won, you, did you Did you usually win? I won a lot and I lost a few, but I, and then I played poker with all my friends during high school. So that was when I figured out that I had a high tolerance for risk. And I have a high tolerance for risk in everything I do. So risking doesn't bother me. Some people are more conservative. God bless them. I'm not.
2: Matt, Mattress Mac with us. How, how much free advertising would you estimate you've received if we put a dollar amount on this over the years?
0: Well, let me put it in this perspective. I went to uh, Bellagio MGM at 2.30 in the morning to placed that big bet on the Astros a couple months ago. I'm walking through the casino at two 30 in the morning. These two young guys come up and say, Hey, Mattress Mac, how you doing? I said, "Uh, where are y'all from? They said, we're from Toronto, Canada. I said, how in the hell do you know me? She said from sports gambling. So (laughs) I I imagine, I imagine I've received over a hundred million dollars in free uh, advertising and publicity over the years with all these different promotions. Like it started off really heavy when, Seattle, uh, I mean, Denver lost to Seattle in the Super Bowl many years ago. That was a $9 million uninsured loss, and then just kind of propagated from there.
2: I mean, you, you realize that all, of, especially all the guys, they we live vicariously through you because we'll never be in a position to do something like this. So the, never the, the, know. Per, the perspective that you have is something that everyone would like to just get a small amount of uh, experience <laughs> with. And again, the last time you were nervous was Vince Young in the Rose Bowl, which is amazing to me.
0: Yeah, it's just like, it's like writing a check for $1,000 or 10000 or a million. Just a couple more zeros. That's all it is. Yeah, just a couple more zeros. How'd you get into mattresses and furniture? I was broke in 1981. I needed a job. Started selling mattresses. Found out I was good at it. My wife and I moved to Houston in April of 1981 with $5,000. Never borrowed a dime. And here we are 42 years later. And I still work the front desk where I'm at right now, eighteen hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, work is life's greatest therapy, and I'm getting lots of therapy right here every day.
2: Is it true that your your high school coach was a uh, was among those who arrested Lee Harvey Oswald?
0: Well, it was my uh, my when I was in seventh grade playing football. One of the coaches was they they coached for free, obviously. Yeah. It was a little Catholic school in the seventh grade coach was named Bob Barrett. He was an FBI agent and he arrested Lee Harvey Oswald in the Texas theater. And, uh, uh, so I, I was very much aware of that part of history back in 1963.
3: How much did he talk about it at at the time?
0: You know, they, I think they ended up kind of blaming the, um, Lee Harvey Oswald thing on four or five different FBI agents. He was kind of one of them. So they <laughs> moved him out of town and it was kind of sad, but, uh, that was all part of history. Another girl in my class, her father was standing ten feet away from Jack Kennedy when his head got blown off, and he was also on PT one hundred nine with Jack Kennedy when it went down the Pacific. Wow! Greatest sports
2: event you've ever attended, Mac? Uh, it had to be uh,
0: Astros Yankees that wild Astros Dodgers that wild game. I think it was Game Five in two thousand seventeen. That was a great event. The Rose Bowl with Vince, because I'm very close, personal friends with Vince a couple of years ago. And then when the Astros clinch this year, they will be the cherry <laughs> on the cake. Will you go to Philadelphia? Will you go to the games of Philadelphia? I'm going to Philadelphia. I hear the fans are very nasty. I'm looking very much forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and how many tickets roughly do you have to the World Series right now? Here, look at them. Yeah, let's see them. Oh, wow. Jeez. I mean, are you doing this?
4: He's still- holding up a, a, a couple of yeah. rubber band, at least two or three, filled with tickets.
0: So I have, about three, I have about 300 tickets. I looked at my bill today, and I started to faint, 285,000. So I'm coming to
3: Houston on Saturday afternoon uh, because I'm covering the Titans-Texans game on Sunday. Who, who should I go to to get the, the
0: one ticket that you don't have? You should call me. My number is 281 Hold on, hold on, hold on. Go ahead. 281-844-1963. It's
2: that phone you that's just been ringing.
0: Tell me, you you're, You and I were on Outkick. Come out here to Gallery Furniture North Freeway, and I will give you one of these Houston Astro tickets to see Game 2 of my friend Fromber Valdez. I got a great story on him. You want to hear it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. He comes out here to buy furniture. I think it was... Uh, Tuesday night, and a uh, nice guy's wife, super nice, bought a lot of furniture from us. So he picks out all these things, and we said, What time do you want it delivered? And it was like 8 30 at night. He said, I'm not going to deliver it, I'm going to pick it up. And he had a brand new pickup truck. So he goes over to our pickup dock, and the guy jumps in the back of the truck, helping him load the furniture in there. And then the guys get in the truck, he's loading all this stuff up, and they want to tie it down. He said, You don't have to tie it down, I got to go. And they said, No, we got to tie it down or it'll come up on the road. So we tied it down. And he took it down to the port of Houston, put it on a ship to go do it to his mom's house in the Dominican Republic. What a guy! That's that's awesome. amazing.
3: That's amazing. Paul, look at that.
4: You're going to go to the World I, Series uh, now. Uh, how, about am, uh, hey, uh, how about that? Hey, my heart just skipped a beat.
2: Mac, I'm curious. Uh, are you going to try to sell? Uh, is Paul going to come back from Houston with a, a brand new bedroom suit as well? Is he going to <laughs> ship that back up to Nashville.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll twist his arm. That's we'll right. get, we'll <laughs> get we'll get uh, from uh, to ship it up for me. Yeah. Hey, y'all got y'all got Amy Adams out there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, in my book, she's absolutely terrific. I bought a package last year when when they played in this playoff game, and uh, it was four or five thousand dollars for the Oilers. I mean, for the uh, Titans charity, she personally sent me a note and called me and thanked me for doing that. She's terrific. Yeah, she's a class act,
3: and she's really uh, brought them into modern times, which they, they were lagging with, behind. Uh, yeah. Some
2: charity events here as well with us. which uh, you're right? It, 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 she's well, one of a kind for sure, especially for this city.
0: Uh, he takes def- great care of all the ex oilers players yes. too. Yes, they, I really
2: just
3: had, they just had homecoming weekend uh, on Sunday yeah. when they beat the Colts, and there were a bunch of Oilers here, including Pastoreni. Uh, planted the sword at midfield before they kicked off.
0: How's everything in Nashville? I hear y'all the hottest growth city in the country. We're going to dome too much growth. Too much growth. We need a moratorium on gro- yeah, getting growth.
2: Getting the new NFL stadium. You're going to be buying a couple of suites at the Super Bowl here soon.
0: Yep. Is that right? Don't say a moratorium on growth. All those furniture stores out there need new houses things sell more furniture. <laughs> That's
3: right. So you're a brotherhood with all the, all the other furniture and mattress guys, huh? That's
2: right. We, we,
0: we got a huckster. We got to sell. We got to promote.
2: What else are you betting on this weekend?
0: I'm trying to get something going on in World Cup because Houston has a huge Hispanic population. So I'm, I think I'm going to do a promotion that says, if Team USA and Team Mexico make it through the first round of the World Cup, uh, you get your money back, and I think I can get some uh, uh, two or two to, two and a half to one odds on that. I didn't know You'll if
2: you, I didn't know if you had a pick for the Titans Texans. We could all play or or something in the NFL. Have you ever seen a bet of yours shift the line immediately? All the time. I mean, how many all don't at this point when you make a bet? Back. Let Let's shift the line right now. Let's just make a bet. Um, can Can you do that? At, can you have an at, app? Can you just pull up? Let's shift you know, the I had line immediately.
0: Five million. I had seventy five million. Uh, Bet insurance on this game, and I figured we'd run the promotion all the way through uh, Friday, right before the game started. We had to stop the promotion on Monday because we we went through that. We had the biggest day in forty-two years on Sunday, and then topped that by twenty percent on Monday. So the demand was huge. We already filled up the seventy-five million dollars in liability, and for me to to get some more bet insurance, then I got a. Uh, Lay two hundred to win a hundred, and I ain't going that route. So, right.
3: so how much, how
0: much, uh, how much business was that on Monday? About nine million. <laughs> oh
3: man! Wow! Well, well done. That's a lot of furniture.
0: You're you are uh, well done. I mean, there should be a book written about you. Anybody? Anybody propose that? I got a couple of books, but uh, I got some new material. The books I have are about ten or twelve years old. I need to write a new one and talk about all my successes and my. Many, million, many, million failures because to be a, to be a promoter, you got to strike out more than you hit a home run. So sometimes you hit home runs. A lot of times you strike out. There was lots of teams I bet on last year trying to get them the final four in future's best didn't make it, but that's the way it is. I bet on Tennessee, I really liked their men's basketball team last year, but they didn't make it.
4: Well, forget the book. I want to watch the movie about yeah. Mattress yeah. Mac. Well, Who this, plays This thing you? needs to go
0: to
2: straight to film.
0: Who plays you in a movie? Who plays me in a movie? My son, James. There All right, that sounds good.
2: Mattress Mac has been our guest gallery, furnituregalleriesports.com. John McClain raves about him uh, and has loved uh, the, the first couple of months uh, riding at the site, Jim. Uh, we've loved this visit as well. We, we, we certainly That's appreciate incredible. it. And, um, and Paul's... Mac, I'm going to dial your number right now. Go ahead and let, let that phone ring, Paul. Let's, let's get the yeah, number rolling in wrong. there. Stack yeah, of uh, tickets ring. is right now. What, what, what seat are you giving him?
0: Worst seat in the house. I'm giving him one right behind the Astros dugout. Wow.
2: We're going to break, Hutton.
3: Oh, my goodness.
2: Thanks a lot, Mac. Hey, Mattress Mac, thank you. You're the man. I got it,
0: Paul in Nashville. I'll see you on Saturday.
2: (laughs) All right. Mattress Mac has been our guest. What a visit. How quickly, This very, you know, Paul was down on the Yankees, and then he was quickly up on the Yankees. Don't tell him anything uh, about the Yankees. You know, and then. What are you doing? He, You know, now he's behind the Astros bench, and he's going to act like it's, it's all cool. Paul's all for the Astros Break. now. You show up wearing Yankees gear. <laughs> That's exactly what you have to do. No, please, wear a
4: Ken Caminiti jersey. <laughs> uh, you you got to, I mean, if you're getting the hookup with Mattress Mac, you got to go.
3: I got a lot of you decisions. Go all I it, the I got a lot of decisions to make.
2: I love it. And, but, uh, I got
3: to go call him for real.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, his phone's ringing. You called him.
3: No, I know. He... he... I think hung up on oh, I like he got my number, so I, I need to just go make sure like, <laughs> yeah, go what the arrangements him. are.
2: Go Matt, call him. Mattress Mac uh, has been our guest. Big thanks to John McClain for hooking us up there with that visit. And uh, from Lee Harvey Oswald to 75 million riding on the World Series. I amazing. You, I don't
3: know how you're not nervous. That's amazing
2: insane. story. Well, either way, he wins because he's got the money I'm, from the... From the furniture, that, Crazy. there's no
3: such thing as a can't lose deal, and he's got one—a
2: nine million dollar day at a furniture store. But it's—he's it, really got ten million riding on it, right? Yeah, because the payout's seventy-five.
4: Well, that's—and that's, that's what I'm saying. Honey. You're right in that he wins the, He had a nine million dollar
2: day. Yeah, on Sunday, he just told us his best day in 42 years. It's ingenious. Mike Wall joins us as uh, we chat NFL offensive line play, which I think is down across the league. I. I I'm no expert here. We'll talk to one, the host of the On My My Block pod. Uh, That is coming up next, and Paul is about to race out and try to lock in this dugout seat.
3: Yeah, make sure that wasn't for entertainment value only.
2: I don't think it was. I don't either. I can't wait to find out what you're purchasing. (laughs) (laughs) You guys want a chair? Stay tuned. More NFL discussion coming up on Outkick 360. And those headlines include Robert Quinn from the Bears traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. Welcome back to Outkick 360. The Eagles acquire Robert Quinn in exchange for a fourth-round pick. We already knew they were all in. They're all in. They're going for it, and they should. Uh, Mac Jones also reportedly took 90% of the first-team reps today for the Patriots. They're playing the Jets this Sunday. Mike Wall joins us. Former NFL offensive lineman, started his career with the Green Bay Packers, ended it with the Seahawks, and now he's a podcast host of the On My Block pod. We're talking offensive line and more with the 11-year NFL guard. Mike, good to see you, man. Thank you for the time. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. So I'm, I'm looking at NFL scoring down, and I'm seeing uh, – I, I think – I don't know what the average number of teams would be. I think we're above average on the number of offenses, to me – the inexperienced eye here that that look it just looks very average to mediocre play right now across the league. How much of that is due to what's happening up front on the offensive line across the league?
1: That's a good question. I think that the line play is significantly down over the last ten years. Um, there's, I think, I think execution of offense is down. I think the like the technical ability of players is is significantly down. I think we rely a lot more on creating space, using scheme, um, having really good athletes as opposed to having really good football players, guys that have an incredible amount of football intelligence, guys that are kind of purpose-built for their position, to put a lot of time into their craft. Um, I, just don't, I think that's down across the league. There's a number of reasons for that. Certainly up front, you look at the college football landscape and all the spread offenses that have been put in. I mean, from a technical mastery standpoint, these guys come in uh, very, very underwhelmingly uh, able as as opposed to what you saw maybe 20 years ago as far as just masters of their craft. And you have some really good athletes, but you have a lot of basketball players, not a lot of football players. I
2: cool. think that's a good way to put it. And uh, I also think that we hear a lot about, oh, Brady makes the offensive line in New England so much better. I also, from your perspective, how much can a quarterback make an offensive line look bad? Um, and the oh. the O-line's playing well. It's the quarterback issue, but the O-line's taking the grief, at least the heat, publicly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so you can point to a number of guys earlier in their careers, and then you can point to Russell Wilson, you know, for the last four years in, in Seattle, let Russ cook that whole idea. Um, if you hold the ball longer and make your offensive line look bad, but you throw the ball late on scramble plays that uh, he's a hero and everybody else is going to get fired. And that happened early in Ben Roethlisberger's career that happened early, actually in Aaron Rodgers' career, he was holding the ball for too long. And, and, and guys were getting kind of bad looks. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's not a lot of stats that I buy into, but one of the stats that is kind of important when I look at it is is the is the time to throw because that really does kind of paint a picture of of what that offensive line, what that offense is designed around. And, and then you have to look at obviously, are they running a lot of gun play action, are they running under center play action, is it drop back, et cetera. But just that's a general kind of marker of like if that number is high, you could probably tell that people don't like that offensive line. So Mike, it's it's odd when you see the offensive problems across the league
4: because it's a league that in their headquarters they make decisions with rules to help the quarterback and help offenses pretty consistently over the last 10 years let's say does that extend to offensive line play in terms of what you're seeing allowed by offensive linemen or is that an area where maybe it hasn't really changed to help offense i'm talking about holding i'm talking hands to the face everything you've seen is there leniency more so on the offensive line than defensive line in those settings, or have you not really seen a change from when you played to now?
1: I think when the I think when the people on Fifth Avenue are thinking about the game and thinking about how to make more money, uh, they go through the rolodex in their head of all the positions that are important. I think offensive lines like right above placeholder, right. <laughs> I, I don't think it's very high. Um, I don't see much of a difference. I know that when um, when I've been in, in buildings and talking to players, I think they feel that, or I know that they feel like they're getting less calls for them than they used to. In other words, they're, they're getting called for more holding calls. They think it's more procedural. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But one thing that happens is when you're not allowed to, inflict violence on another human like you used to be able to you're because the consequence of that i think is you're going to get more penalties whether those are holding penalties whether those are just finishing on the uh finishing to the ground you know these different different scenarios where you're not you have your hands inside outside you're not running your feet enough there's all these same things that can happen but certainly but but when you're trying when when the when you're trying to reduce violence, and the position that you play is inherently violent, um, you're you know you're probably not going to see those calls like like maybe we're used to seeing some of the other things for the quarterback.
3: Let's talk about a few of your old teams here. Seattle, one of the two best surprises in the league with the Giants. Turns out that Pete Carroll knew what he was talking about with regard to to both Russell Wilson and Geno Smith. He, Geno's got to level off at some point, but still. Way better than any outsider could could have reasonably expected, even if they were disciple of of Pete Carroll. What are you seeing out of Seattle, and how sustainable is it in your eye?
1: I, I, they're they're my coach slash general manager of the year right now for just the windfall that they got from the Broncos for for a guy that they came to the conclusion that he wasn't the guy for their offense. That he maybe had, I don't know if he'd lost a step or not. That kind of came out later on. But certainly, the let Russ cook idea wasn't the way to win a championship in Seattle under Pete Carroll's regime. And for them to go out there, make that bold move, get a ton of draft picks. I mean, you look at their draft class now this year. I mean, they I think five of their top six guys are not only starting but like making significant impact on their team. And I just, for me personally, I love the way that Pete Carroll thinks about the game. Like this game is not a very difficult game. Like it's it's or it's not a very complicated game. And I think. In, in the last 10 years, because offensive coordinators get get promoted and get paid a lot of money to drop schemes on Visio and PowerPoint, we forget that this is a game about blocking and tackling and doing simple things very, very well and executing at a high level. And that's what Pete's all about. That's what he's always been all about. He's, you know, he's been that way since he was at USC. And um, I don't know how sustainable it is for Geno Smith. You're certainly happy for the guy to, to, to have this kind of resurrection of his career and, and, and show that he's you know, a, a top player in this league as of right now. Um, is he going to return to the mean? He, they have weapons around him. They invested in two, you know, high draft picks with tackles. They have an offensive line that looks like it's it's on the on the rise. They have that second round draft pick running back that's playing extremely well. They have receiver. I mean, they have weapons. So it's like in this league, with all the like you just said, all of the the. Um, favoritism that's given the offense. If you're going to put all those weapons on the same field, and now you're going to simplify an offense that really just turns into, can we out-execute with the stuff that we know how to do? I think a guy like Geno Smith can flourish in that offense.
3: On the other side of the negative storylines that are surprised, Packers, I I think most of us thought they'd drop (laughs) off from the 13 wins, but um, this is the the other extreme, the direction they're going right now. Um, Do you you think they're going to dig out of it and how?
1: That's a really good question, and I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, When you hear Aaron Rodgers, I think the question you have to ask yourself about the group of Packers right now is like, who runs the team? Um, Inherently, everybody flippantly says, well, of course, the quarterback runs the team, but... When you're in this situation and the quarterback's out, you're telling the truth. You know, if you, if you have guys that are making a lot of mental errors, they can't be in the game. I don't care how talented they are. I don't care if they're veterans. I don't care if they're rookies. If you're making too many errors, mental errors, you're just affecting the game in a negative way to the point where you you don't belong on the field. And and a lot of people take uh, have have a problem with what he said this uh, this past Tuesday was on the Pat McAfee show. I don't think I think a lot of players don't have any problem with it because that's exactly how we all feel. If you can't go in there and execute, then you shouldn't be in the, in the game. On the other hand, there's a lot of we need to simplify the offense. These players don't need to play. And, and it's kind of it's all getting out of the building in a way that right now doesn't seem right. And basically, Aaron Rodgers, to me, is saying, look, I'm really good. I've proven that I'm really good. I work hard to be really good. I need help and head coach. Help me. I need I'm asking you to help me. Please help me. And we just have to see if Matt LaFour is the kind of guy for the first time under his coaching regime, they actually have a problem. They can't execute. They can't find the right combination of plays. They have a, a, an all pro level running back that they won't feed the ball. Like we need to figure out if he's the guy that is going to be able to help Aaron Rodgers dig the team or the offense, at least out of this hole. Mike, I know that I don't have to explain this to you, but there are certain
4: quarterbacks who I define as an offensive lineman's quarterback, whether it be their personality, style, just the way they interact with their offensive lineman. That's the offensive lineman you know they really respect and play harder for that that quarterback. Is Aaron Rodgers an offensive lineman's quarterback? I think
1: Bakhtiar is his best friend. I, yeah, I think that should tell you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The short answer is yes. And I look, I played with Brett there and, and Brett's an offensive lineman's of guy course. as well. If you're, if you're a, a, an intelligent, Jake Deloma's an offensive lineman's quarterback. Matt Hasselbeck's an offensive lineman's quarterback. I mean, guys that understand the offense well enough to get rid of the ball when it's time to get rid of the ball are an offensive lineman's dream. I don't, you know, Tom Brady, maybe not can't run, but he knows when to get rid of the ball. Lamar Jackson he can he can make you look good when you might look bad you know, the, all these guys are offensive linemen's dreams and then i think the other part of that is are you willing to put your own body on the line to win a game for your team like everyone else is sacrificing their body are you there's some guys in the league and i'm not going to call people out but there's there's quarterbacks in this league that everybody knows that are a little soft and and they've never limped off the field in their life and those guys most offensive linemen at least don't have a lot of time for but generally speaking You know, we love quarterbacks, right? Because that's our our whole job is to actually is to love them. Are you watching a lot of college football every weekend? I love the NFL. I love watching the matchups at the highest level. Uh, I'm a very, very casual college football fan.
4: Well, and I only ask that because and maybe you have an answer. Maybe you don't. Um, You know, Wisconsin is known as one of those programs that produces great Mm -hmm. NFL offensive linemen. If there's anyone currently may not be Wisconsin now with their issues and having to fire their coach. But if there's a team that you've seen in the college game and you think, I like the way they coach their offensive linemen to play the game in this
1: program. Oh, boy, that's a great question. You know, it's, it's funny when you look at offensive linemen uh, in, in that have had success coming out. It's like, even Alabama is like the easiest one to look at. Cause they have so many good guys. Right. But a lot of their guys, if you look at their, they don't pan out in the NFL. Yeah. You have, you know, for, for, for every great player, you have a, you have an Alex Leatherwood type, you know, character. And so I think with offensive linemen, and I always kind of look at this at, um, Oh gosh, Staley from uh, the, the chargers pick last year that just tore his biceps. I mean, he was, in my opinion, between him and Sewell, he was the class of that draft. I mean, he just had it all in college. You could see the technical ability. You could see the power. You could see the, the body positioning, the hip the hip hinge. He had it all right there already. And so I think when you look at the offensive line play, there's certainly a level of football intelligence that guys walk into um, out of college as far as a preparation, as far as like mental preparation and the ability to kind of upload the NFL playbook at a faster rate than everybody else. But, when you look at the individual and their ability to execute, it, for me, it really is almost like a case by case basis. I don't know that I've seen a line across the board where, I'm like, man, they're just doing it better than everybody else.
2: Mike Wall, our guest host of the On My Block Pod, your rookie year was '98. Yes. What are practices like with Reggie White, Gilbert Brown, with uh, uh, Santana Dotson, Vonnie Holiday? Um, how often were you going up against them? That
1: was the year that Reggie had 16 sacks. Did you say embarrassing? Yeah, it was embarrassing. So, uh, I'll give you a quick story. My first day on the job, uh, I, I, held up for three weeks. My agent, Neil Cornridge decided that he wanted to have a shorter contract length and I was a supplemental draft pick. So I'd already missed everything, like all the mini camps, everything already. So we're like three weeks into training camp. And I get my, my helmet, I put my pads on, I sign my contract, I'm so happy, and I walk out there. And I remember I played option offense at the Naval Academy, right? I don't know how to take it past it. So Mike Coleman comes over and he's like, he goes, hey, uh, did, you, did, you, did you get what you wanted? Are you happy you signed? You know, congratulations. And I, I open my mouth to say, yeah, thanks. And he just lambasts. He just roasts the hell out of me. Just, you know, swearing at me, just he's pissed because he doesn't like guys holding out, right? So he just, he says a couple of choice words. And then I almost immediately, I just, I know this isn't the, che- the sequence of events, but I feel like immediately I had to walk over and get in this like one-on-one line where I had to do one-on-one pass rush. And the, it was the first guy was, Von, it, was uh, it was Reggie Santana, Gilbert, Vonnie Von Booker, Billy Lyon. And then I had to go through the whole line again. No, and then Jonathan Brown, who was the third round pick out of Tennessee. I had to go through that on the whole round twice. The whole the whole group twice. I lost every single pass rush. I, I, it probably took me three to even figure out what a stance was supposed to look like. I got Gilbert's throwing me over the bag. Reggie's clubbing me and throwing me to the side. I mean, it was Santana's doing a shot club rip. It was embarrassing. And at the same time, you're like, God, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the greatest thing in the world. I'm over here getting <laughs> my awesome. ass kicked by, by the yeah, But he's off. this is the best thing in the world, right? So it was fun going up against those guys. I think that I really annoyed them because I didn't know what I was doing, but Naval Academy kids play hard. At practice, So I think halfway through the season, they had just had enough of me, but uh I learned a lot from him, certainly, and, and especially being around Reggie and everything that he brought to the game. How much different does it feel,
4: that first practice and then getting to practice with Reggie White, how much different does a club feel from Reggie White as opposed to your opponents when you're at the Naval Academy?
1: Oh, uh, well, so again, like I've never even taken a pass set really right. at the Academy. It's like a couple, you know, it's like you're firing off the, You're firing
4: off the ball and you're going so, into the run game. So, yeah. Uh,
1: I'll give you an, I'll give you another another one because I'll just to put it in perspective. So I was I was pissing off Santana Dotson in like week eight or nine because they you know they're trying they're on like Pro Glide and I'm trying to figure things out still. So like Jeff Dallenbach and Frank Winters are giving me little pointers, but really they're just sending me in there like a little pit bull terrier trying to tear everybody's head off, and I don't know what I'm doing. You're like Rudy so essentially
4: Matt. with Vince Vaughn in the movie
1: when you're, yeah, you're going, yeah, too, hard yeah, yeah. Just, going be too hard and he doesn't want to going too hard. Yeah, tempo violator all yep. the time and unapologetic for it. By the way, just completely unapologetic <laughs> for it. So. So Matt Willows over playing right tackle. He's, you know, the guy that's doing all the movies now and whatnot. He goes, he comes over and goes, hey, switch with me. It's like third down period. And I go, okay. And I'm thinking, like, oh man, I get to go against Reggie White. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna show everybody how good I am. So the first one, I take my pass set and I just hit him with everything I got. And he just picks me up and like runs me right past the quarterback. Okay. And and you know, the, it, but it's he's not gonna sack the quarterback. It's it's practice him. So the next one, it's third down and eight or whatever. And we have another pass pro, and I think I go. You know what? I don't care who this is. I don't care if it's Reggie White. I don't care how many sacks he has. I don't care who's this guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna level this guy. And I took my three sets, my three kicks, and I put my heart and soul into hitting Reggie White as hard as I could. And you guys have all seen what he did to Max Lane, Naval Academy guy, New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Yes, you know, when he flipped yep. him on his head. Okay, imagine Max Lane, but he rotates around another time and lands on his back. The whole practice stops because everybody on the planet, everybody who was watching practice, everybody on the grass, knew that Reggie was setting me. I, I had been asked to go over there so Reggie could abuse me in front of the entire team for working too hard. Reggie flips me on my back. I'm laying up like this. And and Holmgren comes over and he just looks at me and goes, get your ass up. He's flipped a lot. He's clubbed a lot, a guy's a lot better than you. <laughs> and I just went, wow. Well, yeah. If you want to talk about a real welcome to the NFL moments? Like, man, I don't know how people blocked him at all. Cause he, he was unblockable. Is that how you ended up in Seattle was Holmgren? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I, when I left, when I left, uh, Carolina, they were, they were obviously a team that I would love to go to, given the fact they were on the West Coast. They were a great organization. I had a relatively bad experience in Carolina with my shoulder injury and recovery and everything and the way that had gone. And so I just really wanted to get back to uh, being in a place where I, I thought would be a good experience for me being on the West Coast and being around my family, having family, be able to see the end of my career. And Holmgren called up and, and gave me an opportunity to play. And, unfortunately, I blew up my shoulder again like seven oh. games in, man. But that guy's – Mike Holmgren's awesome. Like, I think every – I um, it's sad that now there's so many coaches that aren't teachers because Mike Holmgren's a real teacher. Like, Frank Winters could get up in red zone period on Friday in red zone meeting, and he could teach red zone install. And I'm talking all the routes. He's our center. He gets all the routes, all the defenses. Like, Mike Holmgren and his staff are those kind of guys. They were real teachers. And that's, there's just a lack of teachers in the NFL right now. And, and I think that goes to what we we're talking about earlier. Maybe that's part and partially why we don't see the quality on the field that we used to.
2: Yeah. And to that, I mean, you had uh, Mike Sherman was on that staff in green Bay. I'm just tying it uh, up. Um, Andy Reed was there. I don't know if Gruden was there or had already gone. And he'd 90s. already gone, but okay. yeah,
1: he was, he was a guy.
2: Yeah. That, that tree is really the, the, where we ended up in this era, everyone's pointing to McVay and it, I think of all started the coaches there. on that staff yeah. and where they branched off to, it's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, it really is. And you just think about the, again, you know, Mike Holmgren was a, I think it was a high school teacher when he started out and before he went to San Francisco and, and all these different things and, and that philosophy and, and just really, really taking the time to teach people how to do their job and when their one V one matchups and all the detail that goes into being a really good individual player and not, Nest, and then you become kind of a cog in the bigger pick in the, in, the, in the machine. That is a lost art. And I really, when I look back on it, I see what's going on now. I see, you know, I've been in buildings, you know, since I retired. And you just really appreciate the craft of being able to teach at a really, really high level, communicate at a very, very high level.
2: Tell us about the, the On My Block pod and, and what, you're, what you're up to at a weekly basis. I know you, you do a lot of film breakdown.
1: Well, yeah, I, I still work with athletes in the NFL, so I still break down a lot of film and, and work with some guys and, and improve their technique and, and uh, game prep and game reviews and do all that stuff with guys uh, in the league. And Amon Green and I work on this, uh, on my Block Packers podcast, and we've been doing it for a year now, and for whatever reason, I never really broke down tape. And I, you know, if somebody asked me, like, can you just start breaking down some of this tape because you see things the way that not necessarily everybody else sees them. So I started breaking down tape, and everybody gets all of a sudden the show's got much more uh, popular. <laughs> so, I <think> <laughs> so I think I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to uh, continue breaking down tape. But I listen, I'm one of those guys. Like some people like to you know cook, some people like to go shoot hoops. I break down tape for four or five hours a day. It's just fun for me. So anytime I get a chance to talk about football and, and talk about the the technical side of the football and, and winning your matchups and all that all, all that goes into it, and the preparation. That's what I'm all about.
2: Mike Wall has been our guest. You can follow him at Mike wall 68 and you can get some clips of what he's discussing there on, on the tape. Mike, this has been great, man. Thank you for the insight and perspective and, and the storytelling. It's been a lot of fun.
3: Continued good luck hey, with the pod.
1: Hey, thank you, guys. Thanks for having
2: me. Yeah, man. There's, uh, there's Mike Wall. The, uh, the defensive line. I remember we, um, my parents, we went to church for that Super Bowl. And so I was I uh, on a VHS tape. I taped the pregame and then the kickoff of that Super Bowl. And I still remember watching the starting lineups and the Packers' defensive front that was announced. Incredible! So and New, he was
3: in New Orleans, right?
2: Uh, was it New Orleans? I, I don't know. Probably with yes, Favre holding the, up the helmet. It, and the John Madden. I was on, at the game. Yeah, Al the, Michaels and yep. John Madden are calling the game, and you've got you know it. It was epic. And then the grainy footage on the VHS. Um, Pretty cool. He's Um, got
3: grainy footage on his VHS, and I've got a press pass. There's our age difference. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Coming up, uh, we discuss some more NFL headlines. We've got overreaction across the league. Later, we're going to get into some big topics across the SEC and more on Outkick 360.
3: You ready? Showtime.
2: If you missed our chats with Mattress Mac or with Mike Wall, you can download the audio wherever you get your podcasts. Just search out Outkick 360 as we're live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Coming up, our playoff eliminators for the NFL this week, plus uh, NFL's best. I've got the NFL awards column up at outkick.com. We'll run through that. Paul and Chad can tell me where I've missed the boat, missed the mark on this week's rankings. Um so Robert Quinn traded from the Bears to the Eagles. There is um there are a couple of accounts that are tweeting this, and I was looking this up during the break to see, you know, the validity, because I, I automatically look for the blue check mark. And when they're not there, I'm which is smart. Yeah. Uh there are a couple, though, that are pointing to a potential trade where the Dolphins are looking into Jerry Judy. Of course, Jerry Judy played with Tua Somebody at Bama. Hurt? And um a potential trade to add him and in, in the mix as a third with Waddle. That third right now right now they have it's between Cedric Wilson who's been banged up I believe they also have um Preston Williams still there Craycraft uh Cedric Wilson Craycraft and one other share uh Sherfield. okay Sherfield as a third they may not need him I, again I was trying to search this but we're going to see a lot of these little rumors go between for now it. and Tuesday. That's a go for You know, who I mean, could, use,
4: for you know who could use Jerry Judy? The Titans. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: That's a team that's right now four and two leading their division. That, that would be a nice piece well, to add.
3: In these pieces that everybody's doing, you know, it's a trade deadline thing. And like, so the Athletic you or Sports them. Illustrated, every team reporter is putting in one. Jerry Judy is the popular name for the Titans. I don't see them doing it.
2: Hey. Um, Earlier, we are talking about the Lions. Uh, DeAndre Swift, who's been banged up, full participant in practice today for Detroit. Just take that into account. When he was in the lineup, they were actually scoring, Paul. Yeah. Once upon <laughs> a time. Yeah. Seems Last like ancient history. Yeah, I know. Headlines. When we return, we'll talk NFL and SEC football in the final hour of OutKick 360 across the OutKick Network.